Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Hello and welcome to Out of Office. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. My guest today is the force behind one of Europe's hottest startups. Many of you know her already, probably from the days she was telling women what not to wear if they wanted to look slimmer, taller, or a bit more glam. Meet Trini Woodall, one half of the fashion duo Trini and Susanna, who shot to fame with the series What Not to Wear. There were books on the topic and a popular TV show. But that was 20 years ago. Now Trini is on a different path. I have always wanted to be in control of my own destiny. And right now I feel I'm more in control of my own destiny than I have been any time in my life. At the age of 50, she launched Trini London, a makeup business. It's online only and sells directly to consumers. The cosmetics come in little pots that can be stacked on top of one another. The focus, Trini says, is on convenience and authenticity. And there has been such a big trend in the last 10 years to, to you know, smother what doesn't necessarily always need to be smothered. So I felt very strongly about that. I felt very strongly about how can I help women feel, how can I help women feel a freshness about them there's a raw honesty to Trini, the person and the brand. She's got over 800,000 followers on Instagram with whom she shares beauty, fashion and fitness tips and more, like she did with this message at the start of the new year. Uh, I'm just getting over a little bit of corona um, and I just hadn't been up for chatting. She brought that same openness to my conversation with her, which I thoroughly enjoyed and I hope you do too. So here it is, Out of Office with Trini Woodall. Trini, welcome to Out of Office. Thank you for having me on, Malika. I know you've had COVID earlier this year. How are you? I am probably 90% better. I had it, um, you know, I, I was in bed for 10 days. My partner had it too before me. And I was looking after him, and I don't know if there's anything behind this, but I, I think because I was around that so much, maybe I got it a bit worse than perhaps my daughter got it or somebody else in my life. Mm. So I feel okay when I run up the stairs, a bit of breathlessness. It just takes that time for your body to repair, and it's also about listening to what you can do with your body. Let's talk about your business. You've launched Trini London, which is a line of beautiful makeup. I am wearing one of your products today. In fact, the eyeshadow. (laughs) 
you launched this business when you were 50. And a lot of people at that age start thinking about how to take their foot off the pedal a little bit, yet you plunged into something new. What was your thinking behind this? I don't think I've ever defined myself in any way by age, um, whatever age I was. So when I was very, very young, I wanted to perhaps be older than I was. And I think the idea for the business came probably in my late 40s. And like many entrepreneurs, I was sort of like, one day I'll, I'll do it, you know, and you can kind of hold on to your dream, but you then focus on what you're doing there and now. And at 50, it was probably the worst time for me to then formalize that idea because we, you know, I then started fundraising probably when I was 52. So during that time, a lot of stuff happened and things happened that maybe would make you think it's a worst time to think about starting a business. You know, my daughter lost her father and, you know, there was a lot of thing, things to to deal with is a trivial way of saying it, Malika, but you know, there was a, that real sense of responsibility of being a sole parent was really brought to the fore. And it also, I think I got to a point where I'd always wanted to build a brand, build a business. And my career before that had always been about doing something. And then at the end of that year, would the contract be renegotiated? Would I get another book deal? Would I get another TV deal? You know this from being in this industry, Malika. You know, it's that kind of, you have that. And I have always wanted to be in control of my own destiny. And right now I feel I'm more in control of my own destiny than I have been any time in my life. And I think when you turn 50 as a woman, you judge yourself against where you think you should be sometimes. You know, you think, at 50, should I have married? Should I have some children if I decide I want to be a mother? Should my career be at a certain level? Should I own my own home? Um, you know, certain things which are traditional benchmarks of value systems. And I could never do that all my life. You know, when I was much younger and I was starting again at 26, my friends had finished university and were already in their third job. And so, you know, I, I, I had never been able to do that. And then in the end, I never wanted to do that. But I did feel that freedom in my early 50s, I'm 57 now, of not caring what people think. And I think the freedom you get in that is the best thing. And you might get that, you might have that in your 30s. My daughter has that in her teens. I mean, God, I love that she does. And it shows this amazing confidence. And some people, it comes at different times. So for me in my early 50s, it came to me and I totally 100% fit in my skin for the very first time. What a great place to be in. You were already famous when you launched this business. Did that sort of increase the pressure, you know, because if God forbid it didn't work out, then there's an even bigger story there, right? I think the press will always make a story, whatever. Yes, because you're slightly above the parapet, you're slightly in the public eye. And I had had moments of far more noise around around myself, probably in the middle of the 2000s. Now, as I then didn't work so much in England for the English press, I was like, has been. And then when I was working in European countries, it was actually, I, I really kind of liked it because when I did work in England fully, there was that, you know, feeling followed by paparazzi. There was that kind of stuff, which I, I didn't love at all. And 
And when I worked abroad, it allowed me to work in a field I still love, which was making over women, but not to have that pressure of, you know, whenever I pick my daughter up from school, having somebody take pictures. So when then I was just working on the business before it launched, you know, there was a total lack of interest in me because it was like I was something that was of another era. And that was really good. I, I really like that. And it just allowed me to feel, let me start over. This is a new business. I, there's definitely stuff that I have learned in 20, 30 years of working in this field that are vital in the business I'm doing today, which is a lot about how women feel and taking that knowledge of how, how women feel, whatever country, religion, color of their skin, you know, understanding that emotiveness of what makes women tick. Trini, why, why makeup? When you were launching your business, you know, it could have been accessories, it could have been clothes, you made a name for yourself with, uh, you know, making over women, as you just said, with your what not to wear series, TV show books. So why makeup? Because makeup is the first thing that any woman notices when I made her over, you know, and I think a lot of women get stuck in a look that feels really safe and comfortable for them. But in a way, after a few years, maybe isn't the best thing for them, for their skin, for where they're at. So it could be a, you know, a 30 year old has worn very heavy makeup and she had terrible skin and then her skin got much better, but she kept that habit. And when I would be making over a girl like that, I'd be looking at her getting out of her student clothing and becoming a sort of woman who's becoming a career woman. But I'd also be saying, you know, think about, you need to show people your face. And there has been such a big trend in the last 10 years to, to, you know, smother what doesn't necessarily always need to be smothered. So I felt very strongly about that. I felt very strongly about how can I help women feel how can I help women feel a freshness about them? And I always felt that in, you know, I, I had been as interested in makeup because I'd had this really bad acne till I was 30 in, in all the tip, the tricks I would do to make myself look like I had better skin. And the, the state of my skin affected my mood nearly as much as what I wore. So you always have to come when you're a female founder, I think, from that personal experience. And I had, you know, begun with this little thing I did when I was traveling around, you know, I traveled around 15 countries over three years, you know, leaving London on a Friday, coming back on a, uh, leaving London on a Monday, coming back on a Friday. And I always wanted everything with me. And I, so I sort of would, would put these things in these stacks. And whenever I was out and about in any country in the lure, one would say, what's that? And I'll go, it's my makeup bag. And they go, where, they'll say, where can you get it? And I would be like, so it was there. I knew this was such a great way for me to, you know, I was creating textures I felt really good about. And then the ease by which I could do my makeup in two seconds and whether it was at home doing it in two seconds or out and about. And I really liked, I really liked that. And I just, even I think on those last few shows, I was slightly doing it myself and women were on those shows saying, you know, what is that? And I just thought I've got to do it now. And it stems from seeing that initial reaction in a woman when you change stuff. And thinking that makeup is so important. And my own connection with makeup and my strong view on wanting so passionately for women to love their skin. You know, we, we have a love-hate relationship with our skin as women. And mm. the biggest compliment ever that I get when I 
um, which I get back from somebody who's who's a Trinity London customer is when they say, people ask you if I change my skincare routine and all I did is start wearing your makeup. And that to me is like, I think that's what I want to give you, you know. So I recently bought some of your products and I am loving them, I have to admit. What really impressed me was the function you have on your website called Match to Me. I'm Indian. I'm a woman of color. And my assumption is, oh, it's going to be really hard to buy makeup online because I'm not going to find something that's going to match my skin tone or my skin color. But I was amazed that you had women um, from so many different backgrounds and races and ethnicities, and I could find my match and I did find my match. I'm, I'm really impressed at how inclusive your business is, your makeup is for women. So I want to know why that's so important to you and why you decided to make that such an important part of your business. And do you think the makeup industry is inclusive enough, is diverse enough? I've always felt that every woman should have an opportunity, whatever her age or the color of her skin, to find something that really suits her. And I created Match to Me, which is the sort of algorithm personalization at Trini London, based on, you know, making over women in my bathroom when I very first had my sort of 49 SKUs and thinking what really suits them. And, you know, to that, before then, there'd been like, you know, um, people launching saying, this is great makeup for green eyes or blue eyes. But whenever I looked at a woman, it was always looking at the combination of their skin, hair and eye. And and that combination has such an impact on makeup you should wear. Then, you know, match to me is one way to do that and to, to find your match, to find somebody who looks like you, to put in, you know, it's, it's a risk for a beauty business too, to put in 75-year-old models. We, you and I have grown yeah. up with that, you know, big brands, you know, established brands always feeling we need to have, you know, girls in their 20s sell us anything. And that has now changed. Yep. You have, you know, big companies like L'Oreal doing Jane Fonda and things, but they're still a celebrity. There isn't like Mrs. Average Older Woman. <laughs> so I think that was my feeling at the very beginning is I didn't want us to touch up our pictures that much unless makeup had dropped or, you know, there was something, mm. but I'd never like remove a mole or make their skin look better. That just wasn't the purpose. And then you've got to get an audience who are used to that imagery to get used to what you're doing. And so match to me is one way, but also, I wanted lots of women to be photographed in our look. So we actually, I don't think there's any other brand that's done this. We have something called the Lookbook, and there's 120, 130 models on it. And every single skin tone, ethnicity and age, going from an 18-year-old to an 83-year-old called Gail, every skin tone. And there's four or five looks. You know, probably we're building up this library now because we've taken about 700 pictures but yeah. some of them, you know, they're newer, newer women who are working with us. And so we maybe have their basic and also to show their skin without makeup. So the thing I said to my team last week is I look at sites and I see, you know, you can see before and afters. But when I'm looking at things, I want to see what did that woman look like before she had any of that makeup on? So I mm. said, I want to have now in this little, you go into the lookbook and then you see one to five pictures. I want to have bare face, fresh face smoky eye face, bright lip face, etc. But I want to see that bare face. You know, then when you were doing your match to me, we had to really think long and hard. Would we show women with no makeup on at all and show spots and show freckles? Because those things are important when you're trying to find a skin match and you're looking at a woman whose skin is even in tone and 
pigmentation going through ethnicities really changes, you know, in an Indian complexion, you will have perhaps the biggest contrast in the under eye area of a dark circle. And if I speak to any Indian woman, she will say to me, you know, the first thing is my dark circle and other ethnicities. If you go to a pale pink toned woman, she will say my rosacea. I would love more people in the industry to be doing this more and more, because I think that we are at a stage now where we don't want to be taken in by, you know, the kind of airbrush perfectionism of, of putting you in a box of what you should be if you wear this product or you will be if you wear this product, because we see through that nowadays. Yeah, it's just not real. Again, what's really impressed me about you is how real you are and how you're not afraid to show that. And I follow you on Instagram. You have over 800,000 followers. And when I watch you, you're always so open, so vulnerable at times, and you let that come through. There's a raw honesty. That's got to take courage. You said the other day, you know, I, I'm, I'm having a rough morning because I went to bed angry about something. Do any of you identify with that feeling of just like, oh, frustration and, oh, yeah, I'm frustrated. I'm so frustrated and I'm feeling that sense of frustration and rejection over something in my life and it's just getting to me. And when you said it, I just, that really, really resonated with me because it happens. Yeah. I think if you think too much about what people will think, and this goes back to that thing of hitting your 50s. Um, and I think probably there's, you know, there are people on their feed and they want to curate a bit more and be careful because they, they feel perhaps that community knows them in a certain way. And if they step out the box, that will affect it, you know, and I, I'm not, that's, my community is not built from a influencer um, paid post you know, path of uh, that career, my, my community is built from me just talking honestly as a woman I am and, and, and just, you know, I put my phone up when I had once gone to Facebook years ago and they just said, just say what's in your mind. And I, and I've never not done that because when I was working on television and I had to get to know women really quickly, you have to really give off yourself for that person to trust you and then tell you what they're feeling. And I think I learned that so much when I was making TV, to get to those intimate moments quickly, that it's become now how I then communicate. And when I, you know, when I'm on my phone and I'm talking, I don't feel I'm in this room talking. I feel you're down the end of that phone and I'm talking to you. You know, I really feel that. And, and, and during COVID, because I haven't had that opportunity of being physically also in a room with a girlfriend who maybe on the phone, I might just say I'm fine, but in person she'd say, I can see you're not Trini. You know, we need, we need that even more right now because it's very easy to just pretend we're okay. So to, for me to do it, it's very, it's also selfish in a way, because then I had friends calling saying, Trini, are you okay? You know, because it was, because I'm not somebody who's, it's easy for me to pick up the phone and say, I'm feeling angry and I don't know what to do about it to a girlfriend. But it's weirdly easier to say it to these 800,000 women because I think the community is so, I know so well and on Facebook, you know, where there's a million women and, and some of these are a crossover, but that's, I trust those women. And because I trust those women, I, it would be really dishonorable of me to be dishonest with them. 
or not to say how I'm feeling and not then to think, really say how you feel helps another woman feel it's okay. And that's where we need to be supportive to one another as women is to give women that feeling it's okay that I feel this, you know, and I need to give myself permission. I need to be able to say, because, you know, I was really angry and I hated that. You know, I, I don't like to feel angry. I'm, I'm, you know, I can get frustrated with my daughter or whatever and, and blow off and we're very like we blow off steam. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, that feeling. Of but, course. But, you know, just to say, I'm, I, I woke up angry. You know, it's a hard, it is a hard thing to admit, but I need to do for myself. And then if it helps other people. So, so it's, it's the only way I know how to be. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Well, you've been so honest throughout your life. You were very open about your struggle to have a baby doing IVF. You were really open about your addiction and you got up and you said, I'm Trini and I'm an addict. I can't even imagine what kind of courage that took. Why did you decide to be so public about your very uh, personal struggles? I sometimes challenge myself on that one, you know, because that's the tale that always appears in an article. You know what I mean? That's that. It's always with you. So once you say it, it's always out there. And you knew and that when you said it, I'm sure you knew that was a big moment and that was going to be a big moment in your life and your career by going public with that. Yeah, I think that what was odd is it was a very small place I did it and then it became a big thing. So, you know, when I um, was 26, I, I um, you know, went to a rehab and got in recovery. Um, and I just, you know, it became a way of life. And now for me, that is a way of life. Of, it, it's more a sort of spiritual meditation way of life, you know, 
with our IVF, it was a really big struggle. And when I talked about it, I remember it was in a very personal interview and the, the, the journalist had been going through IVF herself and she just spoke to me and I just kind of was like, sometimes I forget this is going to be published and two million people will read it. Sometimes I do, and I shouldn't because I should be really knowledgeable by now, but sometimes you get caught up in that moment. And I was like, just telling her, saying, you know, that don't give up, don't give up. Every time I tried, and I tried 16 times, and I had Lila after nine times. You know, there's a moment in a woman's life when you go through something like this, and I kind of felt it's never going to happen, but it's never not going to happen. I lived in this weird no man's land. And... I think it's a very, you know, it's a tough thing for women to go through. And I think it's important they can read about it. This honesty that defines you, Trini, how do you think that influences you as a business leader? I think it makes me very determined when I think something to execute it and to make sure it's executed. It makes me want to control every aspect of the business. And as we grow, we're now 130 people in the business. You know, we've, our revenues grow three to four times every year. We're, re, we're in a very, very accelerating growth. And I am catching up with my growth as a CEO. You know, I have never been an experience before of having 130 people that, um, you know, are a part of the business of Trinity London. And it's learning to navigate the managing of those people. The delegation is probably the thing I've had the steepest learning curve of because I want to look at every single detail. When we were a small, smart startup where I looked around the room and everyone in the room I could see, um, it was much easier to be in every single little element of from the tech to the presentation of how the product's on the site to how we talk about it in PR to the models that we're using to the casting of the models to the formulations, mm. every single aspect. And I can't now. And it's where is my time best spent? So to me, one of the most important things is consumer facing because it's still, I am a female founder of a brand and it has my DNA in it. It's very important customer service and the feedback and understanding our customer and translating that and, in, and helping marketing to understand that, helping MPD to understand that when we're developing product and to sort of pass on my knowledge of a female consumer as I know it with my experience. I think with tech, it's to have the level of understanding that I need to have in order to understand when we want to do personalization, how that's going to work, how is our system behind, you know, we spend 30% of our, of our people are in tech and, and looking at a much more detailed levels of personalization. So how does that, how does that um, pan out? And then what are the priorities in the business? You know, because I, I, I started the business with a lot of very inexperienced interns who were passionate and intelligent people, and then later brought in middle management, which was a much better way than years ago I did a business. And I, I oh. felt an insecurity about my own ability and brought in qualified people who it was just too much for the business to take. It was too top heavy. We now sort of changed that to be more balanced. And it was the right time to bring in more experience. And now for me to learn from those people, you know, so to bring in an expert marketeer and to really understand, okay, I want to understand every single aspect of performance marketing and that team that's building up in that. And then looking at data and thinking, you know, with data, it's about 
what is the right question to ask you know because we can all build in so many um so many systems to to be able to mine our data really well but you've got to ask the right questions to help your business move forward and we are not an entirely data-driven business so it's the balance and and again it's that being you you're kind of in the reeds and then you're in the clouds and it's looking down and thinking all right what is our priority for the next six months and because we're growing very quickly those priorities change but there has to be a fundamental you know we have a north star matrix which is new customer acquisition um but a north star metric for me is also we are more than just a makeup brand that women talk about us and they sort of say it's, it's more than a makeup brand you know because that to me then is new customer acquisition you know so it's it's really letting the company know what is that main thing we're all driving towards within each department what are their priorities and for me to see that as well as then you know, why hasn't this changed on the site today yet? Which I'll still do because I still like, I st- it's, it's important for my team to know that at any moment I could be seeing what is or isn't happening. Let's go back to the beginning. You started your career in commodities trading. Is that right? Very. I mean, that's a grand way of saying I sold Anglo-American funds, you know, in a team. And, and you know, it was just... I, I didn't go to university, you know, I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to go to university. My last two years of academia were not really good. I got very bad A-levels and I wanted to do something that was a bit financial. My dad was a banker. It was that feeling sixth child, you know, um, at once to kind of say, hi, I'm, I'm here. Um, you know, two different marriages my dad had, but in total he had six children. And so I thought I'll do it. And, and I, you know, my first job was working for Metafian Commodities as a secretary and learning a bit, they were physical trading house. And then I went into, and I can't even remember, Atlantic something it was called, and they, they sold Anglo-American funds, and they were real, the, you know, the kind of raw end. Um, and it was me and about 60 men on this, um, on this floor. And, you know, they would all be the kind of braying city boys, and they'd be down to their <laughs> Uh, underpants not caring about me because they were getting a new suit made and the tailor was going around the floor and get, measuring them all up for their suits and it was a very odd environment and it was one I never ever 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 felt comfortable in but for a while I persevered because I thought I think I should be this person I would I would go on the tube from wherever I was living to Tower Hill to the World Trade Center which had one what was one of the offices we were in and I'd kind of have the Financial Times on the outside and the Daily Mail on the inside, you know, as I was reading my paper. <laughs> that was me. That was me, you know, Wall Street Journal. Yes, I'm reading it, you know, and, you know, needing to be, because it was, it was client facing. So, you know, just chatting to the clients about why this is a great fund and they should invest in it. And, and I remember I, I have a very deep voice. So I had this client from Nigeria and he you know, I was just kind of like fishing him along and, and, and he, we would have these long conversations. And he thought I was a man and I never corrected him on it because oh, my voice is so deep. And all the record, you know, in that world, everything is recorded. Yeah. And I remember he was going to come to England and meet me. And he was like literally coming with sort of, I'm finally going to invest, you know. And I was like, so like closing this, I'm going to close my first deal. And I just thought he's so won't respect me if I'm a woman and I can't now tell him I'm a woman because you know he thinks I'm a man and we'd had like months of conversations where he thought I was a goddamn man 
you know, kind of like, oh, let's go to this fun club when I get there, you know, and we can go and see the girls. And I was thinking, this is just, where can this go? So I got somebody to be me in the meeting. They went to listen to the recordings, you know, on the, because everything was recorded, you know, for purposes of legality. And um, I remember literally taking in the coffee. Um, and not speaking, but just checking he was doing the meeting right. And and then he did invest a sum of money. It, all, it was worth it. Yeah, but not <laughs> as much as I think I would have gotten to invest. <laughs> and, you know, that was like, I think at that moment, I thought, what on earth am I doing? You know, what really <laughs> am I doing here? So I then um, I then realized and uh, and kind of took a year out and then came back. And then I started in a totally different career of, of making of women. And that career, you know, that's where you really shot to international fame. You were on the Oprah Winfrey show. People around the world were buying your books. People were trying to find ways to watch your show. So you had a really successful innings with your friend Susanna on the show What Not to Wear. We put together a collection of clothes to help you make the most of yourself so that you will never again need to throw open your bulging wardrobe and scream, I've got nothing to wear! And I know you don't do this anymore, but when you look back uh, with some distance now and on hindsight, what did you enjoy most about that show and about that time? I enjoyed um, understanding how everybody lived, you know, because we went all around England. Mm-hmm. I would go to a two up, two down tiny council house in Hull one week and I would be in a middle class English woman's kitchen in Guildford the next. So really understanding the breadth of women's lives, that was great. And weirdly, what I love the most is when that show stopped being done and we then took a little show to MIPCOM. And then from that, lots of countries said, come and make the show. Um, This new little show, it was a sort of softer show about makeovers and it was a more emotive show than what not to wear. And I liked the evolution. I liked the fact that because they saw us as having experience. They let us sort of produce the show a bit more. Or, you know, we, we had much more input over the edit of the show, whereas in mm. the UK, they wanted to kind of po- polarise Susanna and I as these two very different people. So it gave, it was probably more me. But the thing I really love the most is I went to incredible countries from Israel to India to Australia and, and made these shows. And, you know, I remember being in India and being in Delhi and being in Bombay and seeing real life. You know, I remember being in Israel and going to the occupied territories and making over an Orthodox uh, Jewish uh, brother and sister, you know, and just that kind of the conflict of all these um, different places and, you know, speaking to different religions and how they dress. And, you know, in India, you know, some very conservative Indian women and, and talking to them about what it meant to break out from that. You know, I found that fascinating. And I love that. In, in the Netherlands and in Scandinavia, there's this word, and I can't remember the name of the word, but it's like a word for you mustn't stand out. You know, that there's actually this word of like, oh, you can't stand out. And, and just how can we change culture where every woman has a right to be the individual she wishes to be? And so making that show, which was called Mission Whatever in one country and in India, I think it was, I can't remember, it was on TLC in India. It had another name, but I love them. I really love them. And I, and I learned so much from all those women. We get a glimpse into people's private lives around the world, which is so rewarding. You do that every day. You know, it just, 
It's those insights that make us grow. Absolutely. You have a very close relationship with your daughter, Lila. She features in a lot of your videos. You talk about her a lot. What kind of role model do you hope you are to Lila? Some days I think I'm a terrible one and some days I think I'm okay. And that's usually when friends say, she's turned out great. You know, and then I say, okay, something's rubbed off. Or she's just found herself and ignored everything, a bit of advice I can give on her. And she's a very <laughs> strong character, which is a, a mixture of all of those things. You know, there are days I see her father in her and I see the best bits of her father in her. And I love that too, because it's not just my influence. It's what she's got from somewhere else, you know. And when you are, you know, when you're a child and your father dies when you're 10, there is, it's like how much do you still get from that other parent? And she has his humor. She has his humor. She has his ability to be incredibly charming to be really engaged by people. And I do believe that when you grow up and your mother is a focused career woman, which I am, Mm -hmm. the pro is that something will rub off, you know? The con is that you can feel at times what's more important, my mother's business or me. And so it's uh, because superficially, it's like I'm on a call, Lila, or I'm on a Zoom. You know, there's that kind of, I'm on Zoom like that. And it's to make sure that there's enough, that there's enough moments when, you know, so if in my most insecure moment, I might say, you know, like, like, and she'll go, I know I'm the most important thing in your life. Don't think I don't for a second, you know, because she has this security and I love that she has, I, I so, you know, when we put our heritage on, on our child and we think, but I wouldn't be feeling that then. She's not, she's not me not me. And for, for, for that age, I'm so glad she's not me at that age, because at that age, I was so like, so not knowing where, what I wanted or where to go. Oh, no, but that's important. I mean, as long as she knows she's the most important thing to you. You know, thousands of women around the world look to you for fashion advice, for makeup advice. Do you look to anyone for inspiration in these areas? Always find it a difficult question to answer, because I, I don't have I look like it. I look at people's characters, like I look at Iris Apfel, and I think I love her passion and her joy for color, and and she lives and breathes the joy that dressing gives her. So I take that from her. You know, mm. I look at women who have really gone through and become something. You know, like the vice president in the U.S. You know, but broken mm-hmm. through and really, you know, you think that's great. Um, I think it's, I'll look at women more who face challenges and got through them rather than she dresses well or her makeup is nice, you know, because I think when you're building a business too, you need to stay true to yourself. You need to stay in your own lane. You need to really feel that inspiration from within. And lots of, you know, designers will feel the inspiration from nature or from tons of other things or Mm. buildings or structures. But me for me for my business and the growth of my business it's quite an emotively led business and so those women i'm inspired by are ones who it's an emotional thing that i feel around them more than the the shape of their dress trini what's your favorite thing to do when you're out of office well either it's to go on a long drive with lila where we listen to really loud music some of her appalling taste in music and some brilliant taste in music, which is when she's discovered things from the 70s and 80s, because they haven't really got a huge choice right now of good music, in my opinion. 
Um, and um, so I love that. It just it gives me that sense of total release. Um, and then on a more really unsexy mode, I would say doing something meditative, which is mindless and just empties my mind. So in the last couple of weeks, it's been doing complicated jigsaws, which I did when I'd had Lila as a baby. And I was um, had sort of post baby brain, you know, I couldn't think straight. So I just yes. these. but it does, you know, I had quite a lot of stress in the last few months, in the last month, really. And somebody had sent me this one, Kitty Arden, and it's a jigsaw, which is within the jigsaw. There's like other things too. It's, it's weird. It's very complicated. It takes my mind totally out of worrying about stuff. And then the other thing is Will Short's New York Times crossword. So that, you know, the Saturday, the Saturday one I love. I love to get the kind of, you know, I like to think how far into this puzzle will I get the theme, you know, because the theme breaks yeah. it for me to do. And I, I did it very obsessively. You know, I do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I could never do. And then do what is the Sunday one for most people. But we used to get it when it was Herald Tribune on a Saturday. And now actually in the New York Times. I do it online on the Sunday. So I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Trini, thank you so much for talking to me and I hope you stay well and I look forward to seeing Trini London grow and grow and grow. Great. And I hope to meet you one day. It was so lovely chatting to you. That was Out of Office with Trini Woodall and I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know that I certainly did. Please do check out other episodes of this podcast you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com. We're also on Twitter and our handle is simply at podcasts. This episode was produced by Laura Carlson. I'm Malika Kapoor. Thank you for listening and stay well. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.